department usually have what I call multiple choice recommendations, usually three, three options, two of which would be rather bonkers and you wouldn't do, and then the middle one would be the recommended one that they wanted you to do. The reality was better than my expectations, actually. I love working with the civil servants. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our special Inside Briefing series, Becoming a Minister. In this series, former ministers and the civil servants who worked with them reveal what it is really like to hold ministerial office and how to do the job well. You will hear all about the challenges, the confusion, the decisions and drama of a job which really is like no other. My name is Tim Durrant, Programme Director for Ministers at the IFG. In this episode, we're talking about how ministers can work with the civil service. As a new minister, you now have access to the civil service machine, an army of officials whose job it is to serve the government of the day and deliver on its agenda. From your private office team who provide your close day-to-day support, to policy development and communication specialists, to civil servants responsible for actually implementing government policy. But what should new ministers expect from the civil service? What are the common misconceptions? And how can ministers get the best out of their departments? We'll hear advice and recommendations from ministers in several recent governments and hear why the civil service being compared to a Rolls-Royce isn't necessarily a compliment. Justine Greening worked in several departments during her time in government with her first job as a junior minister in the Treasury. She didn't really know what to expect when it came to working with the civil service. I had absolutely no idea. There are some politicians who will say, oh, you know, they're all going to be terrible. They'll need to be sort of knocked into shape, that kind of attitude. Even ministers who don't take that view often have preconceived ideas of what civil servants will be like to work with. George Eustace told us his impression of officials at DEFRA, the department where he spent almost nine years as a minister. I knew that the civil service would have, um, you know, probably quite a lot of technical knowledge. And uh, I suppose uh, as politicians coming in, you always assume as well that it's going to be quite slow to get things done. New ministers' trepidation about the civil service can be especially pronounced after a change in government. Dame Una O'Brien was permanent secretary in the Department of Health for six years and was there for the general elections in 2010 and 2015. She told us about the misconceptions new ministers can have of the civil service. The misconception that is most difficult to deal with is, number one, that you're against change. Uh, And that's not the case in my experience, quite the opposite. And talking about the difficulty of implementing change or the cost of a change does not mean that people are against it. It means they want to make it happen in an effective and efficient way. So I think that's the most common misconception. Una pointed out that after a change of government, new ministers might be suspicious of the civil service but officials do really want to work with the new administration. The second one is, which I think is quite an interesting one, when there's a change of government after a long period of time, uh, that somehow the senior civil servants will have become so acculturated to the political mindset of the prior administration that they will be inappropriately questioning and sceptical of your your project. And again, that that's... Okay, there might be a, a, a subliminal risk of that, and we all need to be able to talk about it. But it's certainly nothing that's coming intentionally. Most ministers' experiences match up to Una's view. Estelle Morris spent most of her ministerial career in the Department for Education, which she joined in 1997 after a long period of Conservative governments. 
If I'm really honest, I, I, I would never question their impartiality. And, and there's, there's not one thing I can say to you that is an indication of that they're impartial, that they weren't um, impartial. But I sense that they were pleased for the change. And that, that's just the way people walk around the building, the sprightliness in their step and the tone of their voice. But they are citizens as well. Um, they've cast a vote. And I don't know what it was and it doesn't matter. But if you cast your mind back to 1997, there was a feeling of a government that had run out of energy and run out of ideas. And I wouldn't want to work with an organisation where the leadership had run out of energy and run out of ideas. So how do civil servants themselves prepare for a new minister, whether that's part of a wholesale change of government or a reshuffle? Dr Nicola Blacklaw's researcher on the IFG Academy team, joins me to explain. How extensive or thorough the preparation that civil servants do for new ministers depends a bit on how long they have to do it. When new ministers arrive as a result of a reshuffle, civil servants often don't have very much time at all to prepare, whereas in the run-up to a general election, they'll likely have a bit more time to think about what a minister coming in as part of a change of government might need. But either way, there are some core things that they'll be doing. So they'll be doing operational admin, which is basically removing all traces of the old regime making sure the right names are on doors, updating email signatures, all that sort of thing, and getting all the right IT, access cards, security clearance, office spaces set up for the incoming minister and any special advisors that they're bringing with them. And they'll also be arranging introductory meetings for a new minister with senior officials and external stakeholders and putting together policy briefings to get the minister up to speed with the state of play in the department's various priorities. It's worth saying that in sorting all this out, the civil servants will be prioritising what they think will be most useful to a new minister, who they think the most important people are to meet early doors and which policy briefings should be prioritised. But a new minister might have different priorities or interests. And if that's the case, they can ask their officials uh, once they're in post to, to take a different approach. So as Nicola says, the civil service is there to serve their incoming minister and ministers are often pleasantly surprised by the reality of working with officials. As Jim Murphy, Secretary of State for Scotland at the end of the last Labour government, told us. You bring a set of preconceptions from your political values into parliament and into politics, but pretty quickly you understand, actually, that the civil service are there to do a professional job. And here's what Justine Greening had to say. I don't think what I did expect was was almost the vibrancy of the civil service. I, You know, I really enjoyed working with the officials in a sense more than I'd anticipated. Once I actually got to meet the people... I really, you know, developed much more of a respect for them. So reality was better than my expectations, actually. I love working with the civil servants. There are, of course, elements of working with the civil service that ministers find frustrating. Andrea Ledsom held ministerial jobs across government between 2010 and 2020. She was very aware of the contrast between the say an MP has over the team working with them and the say a minister has over the civil servants they work with. 
When you're a backbench MP, you recruit your own team, you give your own team their appraisals, you decide what their job spec is, etc., and you set them their key tasks. When you are a minister, the civil service are their own team. And a good example is, um, you know, you're working closely with, say, eight or ten people in your private office, and then suddenly your private secretary, senior private secretary, comes in and says, oh, um so-and-so's leaving tomorrow. And you're like, oh, oh okay then. Um, I was looking forward to working on the energy white paper with so-and-so, but okay, they're off tomorrow. And and that's, you know, that it's, it's that sort of slight dislocation. And again, it's not intended to leave you out of things, but I just think the civil service has its own kind of pay and rations, its own reporting lines. Um, the tasks are set by someone other than the minister. This movement of staff can be part of a wider pattern of civil service churn. Here's Andrea again. I've always criticised the fact that theoretically the civil service provide the corporate memory and the expertise. The minister provides the sort of overall judgment, the political view. But in reality, um, often if you're a civil servant, you can't get promoted within the team you're in. You have to move in order to get promoted. So because there's no scope for advancement within your team. Therefore, the turnover of civil servants is also enormous, particularly at the more junior level. And that means you're not building any corporate memory in the team either. So that is perhaps the biggest frustration of all. Here's Nicola again to talk about some of the other frustrations that ministers have with the civil service. On an everyday level, some ministers find the way that their private office manages their diary to be frustrating, at least at first. Um, we've had several former ministers say to us at IFG over the years that they would find their days would just be totally full up with meetings and not all of which they felt were that important um, and with no room to sort of absorb or recalibrate in between them or they'd be having meetings with these enormous cast lists and it wouldn't be clear to them who was there or, or why. More broadly, another common complaint that we hear from ministers is the civil service lack of understanding of parliament. They feel like they don't sufficiently acknowledge the importance that parliament plays as part of their ministerial role and they don't leave enough room for them to fulfil that aspect of their job. And also sometimes the officials don't have the depth of knowledge or understanding of how parliament functions that would help them to support their, their minister more effectively. Another thing ministers often say is that the quality of the written advice they get from civil servants in, in terms of how it's written rather than necessarily the advice itself isn't very good. It's either too long or not focused enough or not getting some basic details right, factual details right. And some ministers say that about the quality of correspondence written on their behalf um, as well. But the thing is that with quite a lot of this, ministers can push back on it. There are there are things ministers can do to change how the civil service approaches some of this stuff. So while there are some frustrations, these can be solved. But to do so, ministers need good relationships with the civil service. As Estelle Morris explained, these might be different to their relationships with other politicians. You've got to really remember not to cross the political boundary. You can't get too friendly with them because most politicians, sorry, all politicians are political beings. With the people I spend time with and have cups of tea with and drinks with, we talk politics. Those are my friends and these people are not your friends. You cannot talk politics to them. That's a, that's a line. 
Estelle's advice is to take the time to get to know the civil servants close to you well. I, I tell you what, my civil servants used to say to me on a, on a busy week, and it's absolutely true, and certainly the driver did, you see more of me than my wife, than, than my husband, and it's absolutely true, absolutely true. And a weekday, they spent more time in the office with me than they did at home with their families. And that, therefore, you've got to make the relationship work, and you've got to take time out. It's just a little courtesy, you know, how did the child children's, you know, pantomime or play or nativity play or parents even go last night? And just taking care to remember that they have lives. Taking the time to get to know the whole team, both senior and junior officials, means you can have closer relationships with them and explain your motivation for why you want a particular policy to be a priority, as Andrea Ledsom explains. I think a good minister, in my opinion, will be somebody who gets to know those that they work closely with, which means heads of the policy teams where, you know, for me, in, for example, in Bayes, where we were trying to save British Steel, um, or we did save British Steel, and we were trying to save Flybe, um, you know, actually knowing who well the individuals who, that you're working closely with is very important. It's very important to include the whole team when you're discussing an area that's of interest to them so that they really do understand the sort of direction of travel and and why, not just what, but the why um, you want to take things in a particular direction. And my experience is that your private secretaries and your policy teams will work much harder for you if you've explained not just what, but also why you want to go down that route versus down this route. Several former ministers also emphasised how important it is to set an open, constructive tone with the department's officials right from the beginning. Justine Greening even had a specific name for this. Whenever I went into a department, I would have this first, you know, three or four months, which I would almost call my bring out your dead period, where I'd be really clear with all of the department that I was open to taking some decisions that needed to be taken. But actually, if I didn't know what needed to be fixed, that they were worried about, that maybe for whatever reason was kind of there, unaddressed, I couldn't do it unless they came forward. One of the key benefits, of course, of making sure officials are comfortable raising potential problems with you is that they can be caught and dealt with early on, before the issue gets out of hand. Former Environment Secretary George Eustace told us, It's daunting enough for most civil servants coming into your office to do a meeting because they have... Uh, you know, if I might say so, probably quite an exaggerated uh, view of what ministers may or may not be uh, because they're not exposed to you very often. And so the the number one thing in my view is to, you know, to tread carefully, to to really treat them with respect and try to create an atmosphere where where you draw out the best of them and where if something's going wrong, they don't fear volunteering it. Mm. Because the worst thing of all is if, if they feel there's a sort of intemperate uh, ministerial team that will be, you know, angry if there's been a failure. Um, they just won't volunteer it in the first place. Uh, and then the first you'll discover of it was when it really goes wrong and you'll be the minister at the dispatch box having to, to mop it up. Civil servants also value this attitude in a minister. When we asked Una O'Brien what made for a dream minister, this is what she emphasised. A willingness on the part of the minister to um, reserve judgment if he or she feels a bit uncomfortable or doesn't like what they're hearing and the management of their emotions in the moment. And that doesn't mean that a minister can't raise a complaint with departmental management who will then try and fix things, as Una explained. There are people you can talk to if you don't feel 
things have gone well in a meeting or someone in your view has spoken out of turn, you've got your private secretary, you've got permanent secretary, but just a willingness to go with the range and diversity of opinion that the department will offer and being open with your permanent secretary and private secretary where you're not happy and really just talking that out. There are plenty of hints and tips about how to get the civil service working the way you want and plenty of analogies to help new ministers understand it, as Jim Murphy explained when recalling Tony Blair's advice when he got his first ministerial job. When I first went to see him, he said, Jim, the good news is the British civil service has the engine of a Rolls Royce. And the bad news is the British civil service has the brakes of a Rolls Royce. So get behind the wheel and drive the civil service. Otherwise, it'll find a a lay-by to park itself in. So that was the approach I always took. So what does driving the civil service actually mean? For Una O'Brien, it means deciding on key priorities and communicating those to the department. One Secretary of State I've worked with, I found uh, extremely interesting in that he came in and said on day one, I have four priorities. I'm going to have a meeting on each of the priorities every Monday. And I know the department will be working on lots of other things. And you'll have to bring those issues to me. And uh, this was at first a really big uh, surprise to us. And I think we found it interesting to have to reorient not only the diary of the Secretary of State, but also actually of many senior officials in the department and in arm's length bodies in order to organise the work in this way. But actually, it turned out to be incredibly effective because nobody in the department was ever in any doubt about the four things that that particular Secretary of State was going to measure his performance against and indeed ours. For George Eustace, it also meant changing departmental processes so he could talk to more junior officials as well as the most senior. The department usually have what I call multiple choice recommendations, usually three, three options, two of which would be rather bonkers and you wouldn't do, and then the middle one would be the recommended one that they wanted you to do. But often this was trying to address complex issues where really what you needed to do was to get everyone who'd had their head under the towel with the detail get them in the room with the Secretary of State and then challenge the thinking. And actually the option that you might go for might not be one of the three at all. It might be something quite different. George said that the civil service were a bit sceptical of his preferred approach. There was quite a bit of aversion, I think, in the civil service to this because they like to offer you solutions rather than problems. And I think they fear what might happen if a minister is set loose on an issue and Uh, as they would see it, jumps to conclusions uh, without being guided uh, down a particular funnel. But actually, with some of these complex issues, you can save a lot of time. And in my view, you get better quality decision making. And Una O'Brien reiterated the importance of having conversations with the civil service about what you really want. A minister might say, why am I only being given three options on this? I think there's more work to be done or I should have more options on this. Or you, the department, are not trying hard enough to persuade the Treasury to say yes to X, Y, Z. Or you, the department, could do more to calm down this regulator who's about to publish something very critical and so on. So it's very much 
depends on what those problems are. I think the most important thing is to really be able to have a conversation about what that problem is and how it's affecting you. In particular, ministers should make good use of their private secretaries as advocates and translators for them in their department. So my encouragement has always been really make use of that fabulous team that you've got in your private office to just say, have I understood this right? Is that a weak policy team normally? Or do we have some wider discussions going on with the Treasury about other matters that my particular thing is a trade-off? Just take the time to really understand whether you have got a problem or not using those people around you who you can trust implicitly to give you a context for what the issue is. The importance of the private office team to a minister can't be overstated. Nicola, tell us about the main roles of a private office. Whenever we speak to former ministers about their experiences in the job, the single most common thing people bring up is their private office and how important it is that that team is working well. So often the diary secretary and the principal private secretary get highlighted as your single most important relationships in government as a minister in terms of actually getting anything done. Basically, the private office runs their minister's life. They keep your diary running smoothly. They help to manage sift all the paperwork and correspondence that comes to you from the rest of the department and elsewhere. And they can advise on government processes and procedures as well. And they work as the hinge between the minister and the rest of the department. So they not only help the department get what they need from their minister in terms of direction or decisions on specific things, but they also help enforce or chase their minister's priorities within the wider department. And how can ministers get the best out of the private office? The minister needs to firstly make sure that their private office knows what their policy objectives are. If they know that, they can organise your meetings and your briefings to reflect those um, priorities and help keep the rest of the department in line with them as well. Ministers also need to make sure the private office knows how they want their working week organised and what works best in terms of diary and workload for them. So do you want to do your red box work at a specific time of day? Would you like a no meetings after 6pm policy? Do you need things to go differently during school holidays? Lots of first time ministers don't realise that they can ask for the way their private office is running things to change, but, but they can. And with both of these, whether it's policy, priorities or diary management, the minister needs to enforce it. So ask for what you want changing and and push back if things start to slip back into old habits. So the civil service is key to a minister's success, but there's no one way to work with them. We'll give the final word to Jim Murphy and George Eustace on how to get the best out of the civil service. My advice to a new minister in working with the civil service is have an agenda. Be clear on what you want to achieve. Be challenging but realistic. Always be respectful. Talk to a civil servant and engage with civil servants in a way that appreciates they are your your greatest enabler of your policy. But the most important thing is be intellectually curious. Have an agenda. Be clear on your priorities. Make sure that your priorities have been measured. The the most powerful thing you can do as a minister is just really ask the right questions of what you're you're being asked to do and all of your in my experience all of your greatest regrets come from failing to ask the right questions at the right time 
because what you'd learn over time is that if you do fail to ask the right questions at the right time, you're, you're doomed to be at the dispatch box asking those questions, uh, sorry, answering those questions put to you by the opposition. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Next time, we'll be talking about working with number 10 and how they can make or break your policy initiatives. If you're a new minister or have your eye on becoming one, we hope this special episode of Inside Briefing has given you a sense of working with the civil service and how you would get the best out of your team. You can listen to the rest of the series on our website, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more, check out the IFG Academy pages on our website, which are full of resources for those in or interested in joining government and read our Ministers Reflect interviews with almost 150 former government ministers. Thanks for listening.